first off, I usually like to talk about the benefits of joint venturing because there are many. One of the main ones is like, if you're looking to acquire a lot of properties really quickly, you have endless capital accessible to you at your fingertips. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey. Hey, welcome back. I am at the cottage. I've been here for about two months now and things have been awesome. Just unplugging and trying to just spend time with friends and have some good food, good wine, looking at the water. I hope you guys get to enjoy the summer as well. Today's guest is Kellen Panicia, who also has been able to get that financial independence and uh, started off by living for free by purchasing a duplex, living in one unit, renting out the other. But since then, he's amassed 52 doors and he's been able to work with lenders to lend him the money that he needed in order to get to where he is today. And so we talk about his journey. I think it's super interesting if you guys are looking for ways to get creative from a financing standpoint without necessarily having to bring in other partners. This is a great, great podcast for you. And don't forget to reach out to Kellen at kellenjames.ca and also enjoy this awesome weather, enjoy your summer, and uh, let me know what you're up to and uh, how you are trying to enjoy the nice weather these days. Kellen, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you, sir. I'm doing well. How about you? Good, good. It's, uh, it's nice to see you again. I mean, we, uh, we've talked uh, on and off probably for the last couple years, and uh, you are also very yeah. inspirational. You are an active real estate investor. For those of you that may not know, uh, if you wouldn't mind just sharing uh, how you got started in real estate in the first place, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So for me, I was working at my nine to five day job. I worked in the tech world. So I did computer science for my degree. And then I was kind of working for Cisco and another local and a local uh, tech company. And I was like, I don't want to do this forever. I really want financial independence. So I was, I was really getting into like blogs, like Mr. Money Mustache and like, you know, some of these like frugality and like that kind of stuff. And, you know, I really knew that I didn't want to do this forever. I knew I didn't want to do it for the next 30, 40 years. So I was like, you know, at least step one was like figuring out how to maybe retire based on index funds and things like that. Right. I mean, even that blew my mind because even there, even with strategies like that, you can retire, you know, a whole lot earlier than the average person. And then after a while I got into real estate and I was like, Oh, this can happen a lot faster if I, if I play my cards, right. So, um, I, I lived, I did, I lived frugally for some years, uh, while I was kind of like just trying to saving up, save up and stuff like that, I paid my way through school and I, and I saved up about 120 grand or so just from living cheap in an apartment uh, and just, you know, saving money. And, uh, and then I ended up buying my first duplex uh, in 2016 in August and uh, lived in one half, rented out the other. I was living for free. Uh, and that was a huge springboard toward um, financial independence from there. So, I mean, I did the home buyer's plan on that one, pulled out as much as I could on my RSP. I did 5% down. And then the next properties from there, 20% down and I was burring from there. So I had some projects along the way where I was getting all of my money out and more. Um, some of them where I was getting all my money out, some where I was leaving some money in, but overall always trying to keep up as much momentum as I could. Um, and then fast forward to now, I mean, I built a portfolio of, uh, well, I had 32 units when I quit the day job a couple of years ago. And then now I'm at 52 units and uh, all solely owned with no joint venture partners. So that's kind of been my, my, uh, my favorite way to structure things so far. Very cool. So you, you started saving, you built up enough to, to, you know, move 
essentially into a, a duplex. House hacking is a great way to start. I mean, if anybody's listening to this and they want to get a, you know, a way to get started, I mean, you put 5% down because you're going to go live in it. So there's ways that you can, you know, get that financing. And then you found a way to make the one tenant essentially pay for all of your mortgage, your taxes, your insurance, and all that good stuff. So you can live for free and keep saving. That is very cool. Yeah. Congrats it's on that. It's the best way to start if you're able to, if you're willing to live in a multi-unit building, or if you're maybe even a, even just like you're younger and you're willing to live with other students, right? Renting out a five or six bed house, living in a bedroom. Uh, amazing way to start, but you know, a duplex mm -hmm. or triplex living in one unit, it's an amazing way to learn how to be a landlord. Very little uh, cost to entry with only 5% down. And uh, yeah, it, it's a, one of the best springboards that I usually recommend to people. Very cool. So, so you started in, in the end of 2016, correct? So four years, five years? Yes. Uh, yeah, somewhere, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So it's August of 2016 is when I bought my first. All right. So you've got, you've got, you know, five years and, and 50 something properties and you're doing this with no joint ventures. So that, that is first of all, incredible. So I want to say congratulations. Um, <laughs> Thank you. What can you share on how you've been able to acquire all of those with no JV partners? Like, you know, give us like three or four insights that we can, uh, we can take home. Yeah, for sure. So I think first off, there's like this, there was a myth that's been floating around for a while now. And I think it's starting to get shattered a bit. I'm really trying to make it more of a conversation amongst the community that, you know, when you hit four or five properties, you're not hitting a wall. I mean, you're able to continue acquiring properties from there if you play your cards right. So the idea being keeping your debt service ratios in check. So, you know, a lot of banks are going to use something like the 50% rule. So if your properties can meet that rule, you're able to continue acquiring and more than likely they're going to continue saying yes and approving you for mortgages. So 50% rule is you take the gross rents, divide it by two, subtract the mortgage payment, and then subtract a little bit for heat and property taxes. If that number is zero, then you're, in good, you're generally going to be good for most banks. They're going to consider that property to float itself. If it's positive, it'll actually help improve your debt service ratios. And if it's negative, it'll have a negative effect in your debt service ratios. But you can, you can afford to take a few of those before it really offsets your day job income to the point where you can't qualify or can't get approved anymore. So always trying to keep properties in good debt service uh, income or ratios was, was, was pivotal to, to, to my journey. Um, otherwise, at some point along the lines, the bank starts saying no, and you're either going to have to sell or bring on uh, equity partners in order to continue qualifying for financing. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, that 50% rule is really interesting. This is why, you know, cash flow is important. Like it doesn't have to be hundreds and hundreds or thousands of dollars of cash flow, yeah. but, en but enough to be able to keep you from, you know, continuing without hitting that wall. So, so you've got 52, I'm guessing at some point you incorporated along the way, but can you share like some of the lenders, like, you know, just, and obviously lenders change all the time. So, you know, every month there's going to be new, new things and, and different strategies to go about it. But when you first started, can you share like, maybe like who you went to first and how you did that and then who yeah. you went to afterwards? And like, because all the lenders will have different criteria, they'll have different ways that they want to, you know, look at portfolios. And so maybe just walk us through that journey when you were doing it. And again, just like, if you're listening to this at home, just keep in mind, things change all the time. So you're going to have to likely get a different plan. But what, what was your, what was your plan, Kellen? Yeah. So for most people starting out, I mean, you're going to work with as many A lenders as you can, as early as you can. So for me, I found Scotiabank to be one of the most investor friendly banks in Canada. So I was working with them. I got my first 10 properties with mostly Scotiabank. Um, I had uh, two, I had one with RBC because it was a sixplex and RBC and Desjardins are one of the only two banks that will uh, finance a six, five or six unit building with residential rates and only 20% down. But otherwise, 
I had one other property, my very first one, I actually bought with a random bank through a mortgage broker, but otherwise everything else was with Scotia Bank until I got to the 10 property mark. That is a cap if you're working directly with them as of right now. Um, and those rules can change over time. But I mean, it's been that way for, it's pretty much been that way for the, for the four or five years that I've, uh, that I've worked with them. And I don't, I mean, thus far, it doesn't seem like that'll change anytime soon. If you're working with a mortgage broker, there are going to be limits. I mean, they'll be, they might be more like four or five or six. And then at that point, you actually would need to work directly with Scotiabank in order to get past that limit. Um, but otherwise, the first 10, uh, you know, I actually owned them all personally. And uh, actually, to this point, I still own everything personally. And I just started a corporation recently, a three-tiered structure, because it seemed to work well uh, based on my situation after speaking with my accountant. So some of my acquisitions going forward will likely be in a corporate structure. Um, but that was actually more for tax purposes. I think some people jump into the corporate structure because they're able to find lenders that are a little more likely to loan to you in that scenario. Um, I was able to work with lenders that didn't require that. And uh, I'm still able to continue acquiring personally if I want to. Um, can, you I do share, find that, can you share some yeah. of those lenders after Scotia and RBC? Yeah, so uh, you can work with, first off, most people are gonna go to commercial lenders at that point. They're gonna be kind of forced in that scenario though to buy six, in, six units and up. Um, and fantastic if that's the type of buildings you're looking to buy at that point. You know, if you're one of the few people who wants to continue buying two to four unit buildings after you've built up ten, a property of 10 plus, plus properties, then uh, credit unions are an amazing option for that. So I've been working with credit unions, 25% down, 25 year AM, and the rates are a little bit higher, but not like, like still like mid twos kind of thing. Like they're actually completely reasonable rates. So um, not as cheap, you know, I'm not getting the 1.5, 1.8, some people are seeing as of right now, but overall completely reasonable rates and uh, flexible in terms of, you know, no limit on number of doors. Uh, like overall, I can continue buying as many as I want, as long as they meet the debt service, uh, the DCR requirements they have, which is like 1.2 um, or higher. And as long as I have the down payment funds. Okay. So that's cool. So credit unions. Now, obviously I'm a big proponent of, of working with mortgage broker and, and some, many of them, the good ones have uh, relationships, but in, in your, yeah. in your situation, did you go individually to a few credit unions that you knew or that were in your area? Or did you go through a mortgage broker that, that went through the credit unions and, and how did you do that? Yeah. So I, I spoke with a bunch of different mortgage brokers in my, cause my situation was pretty specific, right? Not a lot of people have no day job and 10 plus properties and they want to continue buying two to four unit buildings. So I, I talked to uh, countless mortgage brokers to see what my options were. And there were some, you know, there were certain lenders that maybe had some options here and there. Um, some of them, like I did one of them with home trust, but the rate was like 6%. And I don't know. I mean, I'm actually in the process of selling a property for the first time ever. And that's a mortgage I have with home trust, but otherwise like, I actually got referred to this uh, to this credit union from a mortgage broker. At the time, the they weren't working with that uh, uh, that uh, credit union directly, so they got me connected with them directly. And honestly, I've always preferred. I mean, I think that. It, it, everyone's situation is different. For some people, working with a mortgage broker is awesome because they're able to go at bat for you. They're able to optimize the numbers in a way that you may not be able to yourself. Uh, they're able to, you know, really pitch your situation, your narrative and get a deal done where you may not have been able to if you work directly with the bank. I've always preferred working directly with, you know, Scotia Bank and now credit unions because um, I know how to I know how to optimize my application in a way that they're that they're happy with it. So I actually create spreadsheets, provide all the information they need, so that they're able to say, "Oh, your DCR is right there. It's literally in the spreadsheet you provided." And the underwriter has a whole lot less work to do, and I'm able to get things approved a lot easier when I'm able to, you know, uh, make the pitch myself. 
Um, and also saves on some fees, right? Lender fees and broker fees. It's kind of nice. And, and I, I mean, credit unions, especially they're about relationships. So, you know, when I applied with this credit union, I wrote a bio. they asked me for a bio. They're like, who are you? Tell me your story, whatever. How many banks ask you that? Right. They're like, show me your money, show me your bank account. And <laughs> yeah. like, like, let's pull your credit. They're like, what's your story? So I created a nice bio and put my picture on it and all this stuff. They're actually trying to build relationships. So it's nice when there's one fewer layer of abstraction in that scenario where you're able to work and build that relationship more directly. I always try to have as few layers of abstraction between me and the underwriter as possible, um, just so I can get a really, hopefully a good feel for exactly what the underwriter is looking for. And then I could just give them exactly what they need and they're happy to continue uh, approving. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey guys, just want to take a quick moment and introduce you to a key member of my power team. Dylan Suter is my realtor who's been working very hard to find me amazing deals. And Dylan, I'm a big proponent in working with realtors that are investors. And Dylan is truly an investor. Welcome, Dylan. And thank you so much for being a sponsor. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I want to first thank you for having us as a sponsor. We're really grateful to be working with you and all of the support you've given us over the past couple of years. So thank you so much for that. And our focus as Elevation Realty is to focus our attention primarily on real estate investors that are looking to replace their active income with a passive income and go enjoy what they like most, such as time with the family or up at the cottage, whatever it may be. So what we do is we focus our attention on creating a plan specific for each client, whether that is something they want to have five properties in five years and be able to sit on them for 10 years and then sell them and retire on the, the equity. Or if they're looking to scale their portfolio and retire in the next 12 months, we can look at doing that as well through joint ventures or Airbnb short-term rentals. We can talk through buildings, buy, renovate, refinance, single family purchases, and the list goes on. That's awesome. Now, Dylan, if people wanted to reach out and get help from you, where can they go? They can check us out online at www.elevationrealty.ca, E-L-E-V-A-T-I-O-N, realty.ca, or they can email us at info at elevationrealty.ca, Give us a call or text at 905-592-4220 or check us out at The Right Club or other meetup groups that we're usually at as well. Amazing. Thank you so much, Dylan. It is awesome working with you as always. And now back to the show. And now back to the show. That's an awesome story. Now you are doing the birth strategy. So you are, I guess, letting the lender know ahead of time that you're going to be refinancing this so that you can do it with a certain time frame. Is that, is that roughly what you're doing? Or if not, just let me know. Yeah. So, so with Scotiabank, it was really important to do that. They're, they're always pretty good about registering the mortgage in the back end a little bit higher with the expectation that you're planning on refinancing. It's really important if you're working with a lender, even if it's Scotiabank or someone that is a bank that's more investor friendly, to give them, to tell them your plan is, right? If you're, if you're looking to refinance in the coming three, six months, they really need to know that. You can save on some lawyer fees and things like that if you register things properly. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I mean, it's very important to show that plan up front. I actually, I've brought some mortgages over since because, you know, once you leave your day job, you're able to renew mortgages with someone like Scotiabank. I don't have a job anymore, but they're still able to renew me. You literally just click renew on, the, on, their, on Scotiabank's website and they're happy to do that. They don't pull credit again and make sure you're working and any of that, which is great, but they can't act, let you access any further uh, appreciation. They can only let you access the mortgage pay down. So I want to access the appreciation that I've forced and the market appreciation. So for me, that means moving it over to a credit union that will let me bring it up to, in my case, 75% loan to value. Uh, in order to access that equity. Now, you know, when it comes to buying properties with a credit union, 
I don't think that they're super pumped about the idea of a quick refi within three, six months, like I may have been able to do more in the past. Um, but you know, when you build a, I mean, at that point, you have a pretty significant portfolio. You can look back to a property you bought one, two, three years ago and pull equity from those. You don't always have to pull it out of the one you just bought. Exactly. It just gives you options, right? So you, with 52 units, you definitely can, uh, you don't have to go back to the very, very last one. Um, and, so, and, yeah. And the nice thing about it too, is that like, you know, I'm able to do that because it's just myself on all these properties. So if I want to be able to access the equity, I don't need to go to a partner and try and figure out which one makes sense. And maybe they're not ready to drop their cash flow yet, or they don't need the capital right now. Yeah, I can just go sure. to whatever makes sense out of the portfolio. So that brings me into the next point I, I wanted to ask you about is obviously there are going to be some benefits to not having JV partners as you're scaling your portfolio. I mean, not that there's anything wrong or, or not wrong. I mean, different totally. people scale different ways and, and, you know, there's pros and cons to both, but in, in your opinion, you know, can you share some of the, I guess you, you mentioned one is flexibility, but can you share some of the points where you, when you were looking at, at acquiring and, and continuing that you said, I'm going to try to do this myself. A, why did you go that route? And then, you know, what are the pros and cons for you? Yeah. So it's, it's a very interesting co co uh, topic of conversation because first off, I usually like to talk about the benefits of joint venturing because there, there are many. Uh, one of the main ones is like, if you're looking to acquire a lot of properties really quickly, you have endless capital accessible to you at your fingertips. If you have built legitimacy amongst, uh, you know, social media and amongst the investor community, and you're able to access uh, money through joint venture partners and acquire as many as you want as quickly as you want. So, I mean, that's an amazing thing that you, that's a little bit more difficult to do if you're purchasing personally, because, you don't, because now you need to be able to access money and work with banks and all of this is, you know, isn't always as quick as you'd like it to be. Um, but so I really liked the idea of, joint, of not doing joint ventures in my case, because the way I looked at it was, well, first off, if I'm going to be doing 50% partnerships with people, that means in order to make the same amount of cash flow, mortgage pay down and appreciation, I'm going to have to do twice as many deals. And in my case, I was okay with doing maybe half as many deals, um, but owning them, owning, owning them myself and having 100% control over them. So I kind of look at it in my head is like, you know, I have the 52 units. Maybe I could have done instead the 104 units with joint venture partners, but I actually would kind of prefer the scenario I have because I have 100% control over the 52 units I have versus 104 units with partners and complications and relationships that come up there. I mean, there are benefits to both sides. And, uh, and, but I just, I really like being able to have that 100% ownership. And one other way I like to look at it as, is if you're looking to do a Burr project and you know that you can get all of your money out or most of your money out in three to six months, I mean, it may as well be your property after the three to six months, right? As long as you're able to access the money in order to do the deal and get and bring it to a bank or private money or whatever it is you need to do to get the deal done. If you're confident in your ability to burr a property, I mean, it may as well be done yourself in the way I look at it. Now, you can only do so many of those at a time because you're not going to borrow 12% money on a, you know millions of dollars and do a whole bunch of deals all at the same time because that's just a lot of money to float. But um, I've always had the confidence in myself to be, able to, to be able to get my money back out of these properties. So I've always figured it, well, it may as well be, uh, you know, if I'm going to put all that effort in, I may as well have 100% ownership when I'm done. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, again, like if somebody is going to sit on the sidelines for five to 10 years and they're not going to do anything, then then partner up with somebody that's going to help you. Um, or, you know, if you are looking to learn along the way, you can partner with someone that's going to help you. Or if you're looking to borrow somebody else's funds or financing ability. So there's definitely some some good things. You know, I think the joint venture piece works. But just like you, Kellen, like, you know, 
I built my portfolio. Um, obviously my spouse and myself have done it and yeah. didn't bring in other outside investors. It was strictly ourselves. And then I, I left my nine to five job. Now I'm, I'm, I'm open to other things. I'm also working on bigger deals just in general where, where we're doing some more mm -hmm. development and stuff now. However, I will say there is something to be said about having the ability to get, you know, the cash flow, the mortgage pay down the appreciation. And I don't know with the portfolio that I have, I would have not been able to do it had I had JVs for, for everything else, just because, you know, you're not, you're not benefiting as much. However, could I have doubled or tripled in, in half the amount of time? Probably. So there's kind of that balance yeah. to get a way out. It's funny, right? Cause it's like, well, we could have done maybe twice as many deals, but like, would we have grayer hair by the end of that? And like, you know, managing all the relationships and also we have to do twice as many deals. Now we have to manage that money as well, or have management take care of that stuff. And like, you know, you want to, you know, say you have a goal of 5,000 bucks before you leave your day job. Now it's got to be a portfolio that cash flows 10 grand a month that you're splitting with a partner. I mean, that's a pretty significant portfolio to build while working a day job, right? That's a pretty difficult thing to do. So, um, I mean, I've, I mean, it's really started to add up now, cash flow and mortgage pay down. I'm super grateful that I own 100% of it myself because, I mean, it really allows me to, it, it gives me options in my life that I wouldn't have otherwise um, if, uh, if things were split uh, differently. Yeah, for sure. So what's, you know, what was the big thing for you? I mean, obviously you did this fairly quickly. I mean, we've really been only investing for, for five, five years and, and you've left your day job after what is it, two and a half years. Yeah. Um, you know, talk to us about like how your life changed from the time that you were, you know, trading your time for dollars versus when you're like, I don't need it to do anymore. I'm where I want to be. And, you know, like, how did that change your life? Yeah. So, so first off, I was super pumped. <laughs> like I, my plan, my plan was to leave the day job. My plan was to quit. And I was like, in two weeks, I'm going to give my notice at my day job. I'm going to go talk to the boss. I was really scared to do it because golden handcuffs and all that. But I just, I, I knew now was the time. I mean, I had more than enough. I made more of my cash flow than I made in my day job. So I was like, now's the time. So I was like ready to give the notice. And then I got laid off from my day job. <laughs> so it was completely perfect oh, timing. Thanks. So, you know, <laughs> Yeah. So I got all the benefits that come with getting laid off instead of getting fired or quitting. And, um, and then we actually, my girlfriend and I were planning on doing a, a van trip around the USA, living in a sprinter van. And uh, she ended up getting laid off from her job as well. She was planning on asking for unpaid leave. She's actually building a portfolio of her own on the side right now. It's completely separate from mine. Uh, she's got a portfolio of 19 units, uh, over seven properties, uh, building cash flow on her own. And she and I are kind of having our finances separated in that way, or our portfolio separated in that way. Um, but so the plan was, you know, her to go for, with unpaid leave, me to quit the job. I ended up getting laid off. She got laid off. We left on a three month van trip around the USA. We lived in a van with the dog. Uh, we saw like, we did 30,000 kilometers. We saw, I don't know how many, 20 plus national parks and 30 something States. And, you know, we, we just had an amazing summer uh, in 2019, which is perfect timing <laughs> because we saw the US in a way that we would not be able to see right now. Um, and then uh, we got back. I mean, we got back and I spent, I mean, I spent a good amount of time just dealing with deferred maintenance uh, in the year that I, the year after I left my day job. So I was just dealing with, you know, I'd acquired a lot of properties really quickly and I didn't get hundred percent turnover on all of them. So I was dealing with a ton of deferred maintenance, finally getting some turnover, um, you know, renovating those units. A lot of my times, a lot of times my cash flow was jumping up by four or $500 every time a unit turned over. So I was pretty pumped about that. And I didn't think, well, it's not really a huge rush to buy more. So I actually went about a year and maybe about two units in a year or something not, like I didn't really do much. And, uh, 
finally I got things kind of settled. And last year in 2020, I bought 20, I bought 20 units in 2020. <laughs> um, and I uh, started focusing on more like sixplexes and that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, that's, that's what, that's what life's kind of looked like since I left the day job. And now it's really trying to figure out, I mean, now we get to have all these conversations. I'm sure you have as well of like, what else is there to life? Right? Like once you start making real mm -hmm. money and you don't have the job anymore, now it's like, okay, now what do I want to do? And that's a, that's a deep question. Uh, and it's something I think we're always exploring on a daily basis, trying to figure out, are we doing what we want to do? Because we don't have to do anything if we don't want, right? And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, I just want to take a moment and interrupt the podcast to introduce you to my mortgage broker, Dahlia Barsoom and her team at Streetwise Mortgages. Because everything around us is changing, the world as we know it is not going to be the same. COVID-19, the economic crisis is a time of uncertainty for many of us. And the lending and real estate landscape, they're changing quite rapidly day by day. Today's financing and investment decisions are going to be different than the ones that we made yesterday. Dahlia and her team are going to be able to help us maneuver through all of this. They're property investors themselves, so they've worked with thousands of real estate investors across Ontario, and they have their pulse and their finger on what's happening around us in real time from a real estate financing and investments point of view. Her team of advisors are committed to helping us keep informed and get that up-to-date information. And they're also going to be able to help us navigate through this crisis to also mitigate and minimize any financial distress during this whole transition, and also help us emerge out of this in a strong financial position so that we can leverage ourselves for some great opportunities that are going to be coming to us. They've been able to help many investors in times like this by really planning out your plan for the good, but also for the bad, because these circumstances that are happening are going to be very individual for all of us. And they're going to help navigate three key parts, financial stability, financial agility, and opportunity, and help you manage through those three things. When it comes to stability, how can you enhance your reserves and your liquidity to weather the storm? You're going to have a different plan, so it's important to get that individualized plan. How can you utilize mortgage payment deferrals? Should you? Should you not? Why or why not? Any debt restructuring opportunities, those are all things that Dahlia and her team can help you work with. Now, when it comes to financial agility, there's some things that you might want to talk about are how do you make some improvements to your monthly budget so that you can increase your cash flow? Are there any financing tools that you can use to cover some short-term cash flow deficits? When it comes to opportunity, there's going to be some great opportunity that's going to come out of this. How can you set yourself up? for success. So her and her team are going to be able to help you maneuver through these things and create a plan, not only for the good times, but also in times like this, so that you can handle the storm and come out ahead. Feel free to reach out to Dahlia and her team at info at streetwisemortgages.com or go to her website, streetwisemortgages.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, and I agree with you. And I, I think part of it too is there's motivation and there is inspiration and there's productivity that likely you're, I mean, I'm sure you're like me in, in a way we can't just stop. Right. So like when no. I left in October, 
I, I was like, I don't want to just do nothing. Like, yes, I don't have that nine to five yeah. or 40, 50 hours a week of like working for someone else and, and building somebody else's wealth. I can now do it for myself. But I also, I think that retirement quote unquote word is, is not a hundred percent accurate when you're talking totally. to maybe investors that have built it, because it's not like all of a sudden we're going to turn around and be like, I'm going to like hang out at the beach the whole time. Cause to me, that'd be fun for a few weeks. And then it gets really boring really fast. And then you're like, okay, what's yeah. next? What's next? And you always want to do something. So you know, it's just now what's next is, is up to us. Time out we want to invest in it is up to us. Um, and, and so we this just is, have more control over it. Yeah. And this is something I'm trying to get people to think more about. Like sometimes this happens faster than we expect, right? It's like, oh, now I'm able to leave my job. Okay. Like what else is there to life? And there is still a bit of a timeline, right? If you're looking to build a, like, like start a family and things like that, there's a, maybe a chunk of your life where it's like, now's a great time to travel or now's a, like whatever, right? So mm-hmm. it's really hard to figure out I mean, it's an awesome problem to have, but it's something to really prepare yourself for, right? If your goal is to reach financial independence, it's really important to figure out what along your way is, is part of the process you enjoy. What is the journey that here that you enjoy? Um, and, and then when you're ready to leave the job and you have all this free time, you can really figure out what it is you want to be doing with it. Something I'm talking about a little bit more recently, maybe a bit of a niche topic, is just like the golden handcuffs of entrepreneurship. Um, when you figure out how to make money, it's really hard to stop um, because you're like, I can make more this year than I've ever made in my life. Because of course we know more than we ever did. We have the strategies to do that. So, you know, like say for example, you're like, I can make a million bucks this year if I want, right? I know how to do that. I do the right deals. I do, I make the right business, whatever. Okay, is that what you want to spend your year doing? Because really that's the question it comes down to, right? Um, it's a very interesting topic that I don't hear a lot of people talking about right now, but. I see a lot of people working their asses off and they don't have to be. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, the, and the other thing I would just say, you know, and I think I was lucky with this, but if you are, I mean, you're what, 20, you're what, 30, 29, 30. how old are you? 30. Okay. So you're, you're 30, you know, I'm, I'm going on 37 and there is not, unless they're investors or entrepreneurs, you know, you look back at like some of your university friends or the friends that you had at your, your J-O-B world. Yeah they are still working. So I'll, I'll tell you, you know, what has helped me is in the last, you know, four years or so I've, I've developed some great friends in, you know, the investing world and they are also, you know, entrepreneurs and, and doing their own hours because now we can have brunch on a random Wednesday or we can so have nice. like a girl's <laughs> cottage weekend on a Thursday or Wednesday or Tuesday. It doesn't even have yeah. to be a weekend anymore. So I think that part helps because if you're going and you're going and then all of a sudden you stop and, and you AKA retire, well, yeah hopefully the people around you are going to be in a similar position to be able to have that time freedom as well. Otherwise you're going to be bored yeah. pretty damn quick in my, I mean, in yeah. my opinion. Right. So I don't know how, how your situation was. I mean, if, if like, you, I think you're pretty like, you know, you're, you're in the community, you've got, you've got connections, but how, how was it for you though? Uh, when you did leave and, and, you know, with your friends. So almost all of my friends are real estate investors now <laughs> because yeah. are entrepreneurs of some sort, because yeah, I mean, who do you, like you can like like everyone else is working during the day so who you got to hang out with people or, i mean tough with covid but like you do you want to be able to spend time with people so yeah i mean i started only basically only hanging out with other real estate investors i mean it becomes it's a it's a social challenge in that like you have a hard time relating to other people because you don't feel comfortable talking about what's going on in your business or your successes because it feels like you're bragging but there's people in your life that are if they're entrepreneurs and other real estate investors and stuff they're actually excited for you, right? Like they're inspired by what you're doing. You're inspired by what they're doing. So absolutely. I mean, all of my friends, uh, like all of my friends are real estate investors. I think it's really important to surround yourself 
I mean, not necessarily build a bubble, but just surround yourself with people that, you know, are, are cheering you on and are excited for what you're doing. And then of course, having that flexibility in your schedule is amazing. Being able to, you know, even be able to fly places and leave on a Wednesday. I mean, you get all the cheap flights and you get like fewer people in the airports and there's a lot of benefits to having free time in your schedule. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think at the end of the day, like you said it, some people can get there a lot faster, you know, and some people it's going to take 10 years. But I do want to say that this is not something, I mean, you did it really quickly. I mean, my, my journey took seven years, but it's this is not a get rich quick piece. And no. it's definitely not a um, doing it by yourself thing either. Like, you know, you build a team, you build connections, you ba- yes. build, I think, relationships with other investors and you bounce off some ideas. And, and like you said it, like you, you inspire each other, you push each other to, to get to new levels. So I, I think, you know, all of that is, is, is pretty awesome, but I, I will go back and I will say, I mean, you know, this is not overnight. This is not an overnight get rich yeah. quick type of thing. This is get rich slowly. However, I think real estate in 10 years, you know, like, Plus, long-term wise, like you can't really lose a ton of money uh, as long as your yeah. property's cash flow and you're in it for the long in the long run. Obviously, I think that most of the successful investors I know are looking at this as a long-term thing. I mean, of course, we've ended up in the last couple of years have some insane appreciation that we weren't. You know, we were looking at the chair as the cherry on top, and now it's turned out to be uh, like a huge cake, <laughs> right? <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, absolutely, like. Uh, long-term long-term investors the people who are looking at it as like you know this doesn't maybe the first year it doesn't cash flow that's fine right there's a lot of people who think um it's not cash flowing this month and stuff like successful investors don't look at their properties that way like they're looking at the big picture they're looking at the long term um so yeah i think that's super important because and sometimes when you look at deals like let's just say you burr something and you've got 150 bucks cash flow a month like you know not great it's cash flowing and you know you obviously you don't just calculate your mortgage insurance taxes. Like you've got to add your maintenance, your vacancy allowance and your CapEx and stuff like that. But let's just say it's 150 bucks a month. Here's the good nice thing. If you screen your tenants properly and you make sure that they're not going to be lifers at some point, you're resetting back to market rent. As long as the NDP doesn't come into power and and switch everything over. (laughs) But right now, you know, that the tenants leave and then all of a sudden you you reset back to market rent and your $150 could be 500, could be 700. And then you start doing this with multiple properties over time at some point. And I think like for me, it was probably four years until like I felt like my life actually changed as you have the refinance as you have the tenants turnover and all that kind of stuff that's what it it felt like like the first four years it felt like a grind like crazy grind and then afterwards you're like shit man this is pretty awesome (laughs) yeah because we're cash poor during this process right that's the that's the life of a burr investor I mean you never have money (laughs) like (laughs) if you do you buy another property right so uh yeah no totally uh that was and that's the experience for me and it's been for any of my friends or or anyone I've mentored or anyone I've been dealing any successful investor I've spoken to they're always cash poor uh and then and then at some point maybe they decide, all right, now's, now I've kind of deferred my gratitude a little bit, uh, a little bit like enough. And now it's, or deferred my whatever happiness a little, uh, you know, and now it's time to uh, enjoy, enjoy life a little bit and maybe kind of mix things up. You're going to continue building, but at the same time, enjoy your life and try and find that balance. And another thing I wanted to mention is like, you know, I talk like you talk about, you know, building that community and relationships and stuff like that. I mean, that's so important to me. I mentioned the idea that I'm, uh, you know, investing solo, but by no means am I alone, right? Like I'm, I'm connected to as many people as I can. I'm always, you know, like we've been connected for years. Um, Like we, you know, we started London on fire, like local meetup groups. We do the podcast. We're like, you know, always trying to put ourselves out there and try and try and get connected with more people. Um, So I think that 
like solo by no means means do it yourself. It just means maybe you own the properties yourself, but you're constantly dealing with other people and you're, you're building relationships because there's a ton of value in, uh, in networking and, and getting connected with people and, and learning from them. Yeah, absolutely. You're not, you're not in this alone. So no. if, if I could ask like for one thing that you're like, I regret doing this or like one like thing that you wouldn't, that you would change going back in your journey. It could, I mean, it could be anything at all. Like, yeah. what, would that, what would that be? I struggle with this question, but I, I, one thing that just pops into my mind is like my first property, I did 5% down, which I was pumped. I'm happy I did that. Um, but I think I probably would have done a 5% down and a purchase plus improvements on it and kind of did that combo. Uh, and maybe even taken advantage of another program uh, where you can actually get up to 25% of your CMHC or Genworth fee back if you're doing energy grants. So you can couple that with the actual energy audits and energy grants, uh, like through uh, Enbridge and Union Gas and that kind of stuff. I mean, those programs coupled together is one of the best ways to start. It's usually what I suggest to people now. So yeah, I would have done 5% down, purchase plus improvements. I would have done the energy audits and I would have applied to get a, a portion of my CMHC feedback. I think like at the end of the day, otherwise I'm pretty happy with, uh, with the process that I followed. I knew that like when I started networking originally, I mean, when I first got into things, I listened to hundred bigger pockets episodes. And then I started like meeting up with local people and I got connected and tried building community. So I'm really happy with what, how I did that. Um, but one thing I learned from all these people I spoke with was even in 2016, I wish I had bought more properties faster. And I mean, it's like, cool, like I'm going to do that then. I mean, I, that's, that seems like the resounding answer that everyone says, like, what do you, what do you wish you had done? And it's, I wish I had bought more faster. And I think that's probably still going to be the case in five years. So um, yeah, that's, that's one thing. But at the same time, I'm, I, I couldn't, I, I mean, I probably wouldn't have bought more uh, any faster than I did. I definitely, you know, was at a tipping point at certain moments where I was like a lot, right? So juggling but, 10 properties in the day job was, was enough. Yeah. And, it, and sometimes as you're learning, it's like almost like what you, what you know now, you didn't know before. So you're able to yes. fast for going back back to it. But I think it, then it goes, it, you know, this brings me to my, my next piece. I think you're, you're doing some mentorship or you're doing some coaching to help people scale up. Can you talk to us about that? Yeah. So recently I started doing a mentorship program. Uh, it's like a 12 month program. And the idea is for me to be able to do, be able to share with people what I did and help them do the same. So it's all about helping people with burring properties uh, in Southern Ontario and building up a portfolio of cash flowing properties. So, I mean, it's something I'm, I've been really passionate about recently. Honestly, that's, what taking up, that's what's taking up the vast majority of my time these days. I do still self-manage all my properties, actually. But the vast majority of my time is now just kind of getting more connected with people and, uh, you know, really getting one-on-one -on -one specific actionable advice to people and, and helping them build a portfolio so that they can leave their jobs as well. And I mean, I've done this in the past informally with people and they've left their jobs or they're, they're well on their way now. So I was just like, I kind of want to formalize this and make this a thing where I can really help people do that. So it's awesome. something I'm focused on a lot more now. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it is, it is fun right now that, that we both have more time to, to be able to give back that, uh, that is very cool. So where can people find out more information about that? Yeah. So you can check out my website, uh, kellenjames.ca. Uh, I'm on Instagram is where I'm posting most of my content. So Kellen James on Instagram. Um, you can add me on Facebook and I have a YouTube channel as well. Uh, Kellen James on there. Um, I did a video on, I've only done a few videos, but I'm going to be posting more. Uh, I did one on like how I screen tenants, how to find off market deals and just some bird projects I've worked on. Cool. Awesome. Awesome. So the next part, Kellen of the podcast is the lightning round. I'm going to ask you a series nice. of five questions. You're going to give me the first answer that comes to mind. You ready? Yeah. 
This week's lightning round is brought to you by Megan Chomut. If you're looking for a great financial advisor to add to your team who actually understands and incorporates real estate as part of your overall plan and gets your money working for you, you can reach out to Megan at meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. And also she's offered for my podcast listeners to provide you with a free, customized, individualized 90-day game plan for getting ahead. So to get that, go to meganchomut.com forward slash Sarah. That's M-E-G-H-A-N. C-H-O-M-U-T dot com forward slash Sarah. And now back to the show. All right. Question number one. What is your favorite real estate investing book? Um, I honestly don't like a lot of real estate. Inve- well, I mean, we have Mark Loeffler's book back there. So I, it's kind of in the background, but um, I'm, I'm not, I, honestly, books aren't really the, the go-to place I do for, uh, for real estate investing. I think it's all about podcasts and YouTube and just networking directly with people. Um, I really like certain business books. I like uh, um, Extreme Ownership is really great. Uh, Never Split the Difference, The 4-Hour Workweek, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, probably answers that everyone else has given in the past <laughs> on this podcast. <laughs> all, all great books. So number two, then I know you mentioned podcasts, and this doesn't necessarily have to be a real estate investing podcast, but do you have a favorite podcast in general? Yeah. So I mean, I don't have a favorite. I mean, actually bigger pockets just holds a place in my heart because like, that's where I started. So mm-hmm. bigger pockets, there's your podcast, of course, Andrew Hines podcast, the rise investing podcast. I have my own podcast called the on fire podcast with uh, Matt McKeever. So just, it, just listen to all of it. Right. I mean, mm-hmm. Sarah Larby was a guest on the on fire podcast super early. So you got to go back and listen to that episode. Probably be, it'd probably be a blast with the past, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. that was like what, three or three years ago. Probably something like that. So I think that'd be super cool to go back and listen to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's a good idea. All right. Question number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate? Yeah. So, I mean, I love, I love backpacking in Algonquin uh, and just like back backcountry camping and portaging. I haven't been doing much of that recently. So I'm really trying to get a lot more of this in my life. Uh, Yeah. Just mainly for me is like board games and playing and having social time with friends and uh, like video games and stuff like that. Um, that. That's what I love to do. All right. Very cool. Question number four, if you lost all of your assets, your money tomorrow, how would you start again? If I, if I had no money, I mean, it actually may make a lot of sense to join venture partner at that point. Maybe at that point, I, I would first see if I could find some uh, private money from friends or family. If they know that I'm, if they still see that I'm competent or somehow know that I'm competent, I would show that I'm competent and I would explain that I know how I'm going to do a deal. I would I try and borrow money from them at a reasonable interest rate use that for down payment on a property and uh, continue burring from there. Um, that's probably, I would probably try and rinse and repeat a similar process. All right. Very cool. And last question, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how would you recommend they spend their money? So a lot of people like to try and invest in the city they're living in. If you're lucky enough to live in a city that works for investor friendly, like for, like for investors and cash flow, great. But otherwise you're probably going to try and take that 50 grand and find a market where it's going to be enough to get you at least the down payment uh, maybe use the line of credit funds for the renovations and then try and refinance your money out from there. If your 50 grand is not enough for your market, you got to try a different market or you got to try a different strategy. All right. Awesome. Thanks for playing the lightning round. Kellen, where can the listeners, I know you mentioned a little bit, but where can the listeners reach out? What's the best place to get to connect with you? Yeah. Shoot me a DM on Instagram. I'm still replying to all of those. So uh, feel free to do that. If you guys are listening to this episode, you can take a screenshot and tag Sarah and I in it. And I'm sure we'll probably reshare it. So uh, Instagram, my website, kellenjames.ca and uh, YouTube as well. Awesome. And I always ask this at the end, any final last words of advice? 
Um, I would say just keep up momentum, right? Like you don't want to just buy a property and have no money left when you're done. So, you know, always try and get some of your money back out of that deal, whether that's through, you know, cash back on closing, a purchase plus improvements mortgage, a cash out refinance, whatever you can do to try and keep up momentum. Awesome. Thanks, Kellen, for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on. Thank you, Sarah. Appreciate it. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons and at the time they all seemed very valid. But as I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away and eventually only one reason remained. What was actually stopping me was having a proven, actionable, repeatable system. I didn't have that. And the way that was going to change was by investing in myself, learning, listening, and looking for ways that worked. And also, most importantly, discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again. Fast forward to today, I now have a proven, repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven-figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you want to be faster and with less of the headaches that I had. So it consists of all the templates and the resources that I use, plus over 40 instructional videos that you get lifetime access to for just a small one-time investment. And, you know, my recommendation is to make the time now to invest in yourself and grow your portfolio to seven figures so that you can bring your retirement dreams closer. If you want some more information about Rise, just go to sarahlarby.com forward slash R-I-S-E to access more details and book your spot. Thanks so much for listening to Where Should I Invest with your host, Sarah Larby. Make sure to listen in next time. We'll catch you on the next episode of Where Should I Invest.